Are you rewarding the wrong behaviors? Ugh. Oh no, work is hard enough. Let's not make it harder by reinforcing ineffective behaviors. You better listen up. What does it mean to love and work well? And how do I pursue what truly matters? Working at the intersection of business and psychology, I help you answer these questions and more so you can focus priorities, inspire change, lead with courage, and live with more joy today. Hi, I'm Dr. Melissa Smith. Welcome to the Pursue What Matters podcast, where we focus on what it takes to thrive in love and work. Have you ever been left scratching your head and wondering why a system isn't working? You've set it up, there seems to be accountability, and yet, despite your best efforts, you are not getting the results you hoped for. Well, you might just be rewarding the wrong behaviors. Um, It happens all the time. So let's try and figure out if this is happening for you and how to solve it if it is an issue. So, you know, a little bit of behaviorism goes a long way, but it does have some to teach us um, when it comes to reward systems at work. So we are not rats in a maze, thank goodness, but um, behaviorism does have some to teach us when it comes to reward systems. So this week on the podcast, um, we are going to talk about whether you might be rewarding the wrong behaviors, which, oh my goodness, we really don't want that happening. And of course, every week on the podcast, my goal is to help you pursue what matters and strengthen your confidence to lead. And this week, primarily, um, I want to help you strengthen your um, confidence to lead a community. So I try and help you strengthen your confidence in one of three areas. So leading with clarity, leading with curiosity, and leading a community. And so, of course, when we're talking about um, accountability and reward systems, it's all about leading a community and right, leading um, effectively. And so obviously we are not we are not talking about our team members as um, rats in a maze. So I want to be super clear about that. Um, but here is the thing that um, it is, you know, behaviorism does have some valuable things to teach us. Now, it's really limited, um, but it does have its place. So on the folly of rewarding A while hoping for B is a seminal business article that was written by Stephen Kerr in 1975. And this article really has stood the test of time. So I first came across it um, in business school. So when I was doing my MBA, and I remember um, at the time, like, okay, yeah, this happens a lot and thinking how useful it was. And, you know, it's really interesting because I've just um, come across it and the the principle of it so many times since then. And of course, you know, it really harkened back to so much of my work as a psychologist and the research um, that we find in um, especially behaviorism. So in the article, um, CARE talks about how people and organizations hope for one outcome, right? So in this case, B, but 
they are rewarding another outcome, A. So the folly of rewarding A while hoping for B. And that's what we don't want to happen for you. And so, you know, if you're not careful, this could be at play within your organization as well. And so we seek information concerning what activities are rewarded, and then we seek to do those things often at the virtual exclusion of activities that are not rewarded. And so, you know, this is from the article. So this is from CARE. Again, this was 1975. And I think he was from um, University of Ohio. So whether dealing with monkeys, rats, or human beings, it is hardly controversial to state that most organisms seek information concerning what activities are rewarded and then seek to do or at least pretend to do those things often to the virtual exclusion of activities not rewarded. The extent to which this occurs, of course, will depend on the perceived attractiveness of the rewards offered, but neither operant nor expectancy theorists, so behaviorists, would quarrel with the essence of this notion. And so he goes on to say, nevertheless, numerous examples exist of reward systems that are fouled up in that the types of behaviors rewarded are those which the rewarder is trying to discourage while the behavior desired is not being rewarded at all. So, you know, we set up reward systems and we're like, okay, we got this all figured out. But we end up rewarding the exact um, behavior we're trying to discourage, which is like a major um, palm to the forehead right there. So we can all just collectively do that together. And then Care goes on to give several examples um, across across the globe, you know, in different domains from politics, war, universities, sports, government to make his case. So I'm just going to share a few examples because I do think it it is very um, helpful to um, to um, understanding how this shows up. And, you know, politics is a big way that we see this showing up. So we want really um, very clear goals and um, how, like, for instance, like, how are politicians going to use our funds? But what we reward are vague goals and empty promises. So when politicians are very specific about how they will spend our money, we don't vote for them because actually we don't want to know. Um, and so that's actually been borne out in um, political research. Um, and so, um Politicians are actually rewarded by um, giving vague and empty promises. And, um, you know, we've just gone through a big election cycle, and I think we kind of know that that's true. Um, this is another example. This is from War. Um, that Care talked about. So in World War II, the soldier got to go home after they won the war. Um, be, so, right, like... It was not until the Allied forces won that um, that the soldiers got to go home. But with Vietnam, the soldiers got to go home when their tour of duty was over. So it was a very different dynamic there. Um, it wasn't tied to um, whether a war was won. And of course, Vietnam, right? Like that was a very different kind of war. Um, and so what was 
rewarded? What behavior was rewarded with those two different conflicts? Um, Another example he gives from universities, right? So the college system. Um, We hope, so um, professors are rewarded for research and publications, um, but they're, they're hired, right? Like they're, you know, when we think about professors, we think about them teaching, um, but they don't really, um, you know, maybe sometimes they get, um, they might get some points um, related to how they're rated or ranked. Um, but we hope professors won't neglect their teaching responsibilities, but really they're rewarded for research and publications. And so um, professors can actually be pretty lousy um, instructors. But if they're publishing and they have a lot of research, then they're golden, right? Like they get tenure and everything like that. Um, And then, of course, on the student side of that, um, students are awarded for grades, but not necessarily knowledge. So, of course, the hope is that that grade translates into knowledge, but not necessarily. Um, And then, of course, with sports, We um, talk a lot about teamwork, but um, typically reward individual accomplishments. So whether it's the Heisman Trophy, um, MVP, that sort of thing. Um, And then government. um, And this uh, this is something that we see all the time. We see this in government, especially um, like military. um, And maybe you also see this in in your work, depending on the nature of your work. But um, we, you know, you you want there to be um, budgetary restraint. But next year's budget is based on this year's expenditures. And so, you know, at the end of the the year, Um, There is incentive to spend more money because if you don't, you will get your budget for next year slashed. And so that is a perverse incentive um, because what you're incentivized to do, what's rewarded is to spend money you don't need to spend instead of saving money. Um, And so hopefully you can see with these examples how um, what you're rewarding is not what you want. Um, And so that can be really problematic. And so hopefully you can think about how this um, might apply to your organization, to your teams. Um, So whether this is with pay, whether this is um, with, um, with separation of tasks and responsibilities, that sort of thing. And so um, I want you really to consider how it might be showing up in your organization. So consider your reward system. What is rewarded? As an organization, maybe you preach about cultivating long-term relationships, but what you reward are new cells with absolutely no incentive for cultivating long-term clients. So could that be true? And so if what you really want are long-term relationships, then you need to reward sales retention. You need to reward sales expansion to existing clients. So you need to shift your reward system to actually support what it is you're preaching about, 
what it is you value, what it is you say that you value. And then also asking the question, what is punished? So you may have a really great diversity, equity, and inclusion initiative on the books at your organization, but what behavior is rewarded and what behavior is punished during meetings or on projects? So maybe compliance is rewarded. Um, Maybe the underlying message is, this is how we do things around here. Maybe disruptive thinking is punished, shunned, or projects are just shut down if they don't fall in line with how things are typically done. So you've got to start thinking about that and how how this might show up in your organization. So do you reward short-term gains or the long game? Do you reward the individual or team goals? What metrics do you use to reward? So I'm not going to say much about um, metrics on this podcast because I've got a podcast all about performance improvement coming up in a couple of weeks. And so just stay tuned for that podcast because um, on the performance improvement podcast, I'm going to talk all about metrics. So, you know, if you get geeky about that, you can just um, stay tuned for that. And I promise it's not going to be boring. Like it, it, will, it will be good. Um, so, but you do want to think about what metrics are you using to reward um, um, individuals. So, and then the next question is, are there perverse incentives? And so I've already mentioned this, but a perverse incentive is an incentive that has an unintended or undesirable result that of course is contrary to the intentions of its designers. So, right, like this is very similar to, to what I said at the top of the podcast, which is, you know, the folly of, um, hoping for for B while rewarding A. And so perverse incentives are a type of negative unintended consequence. Um, so are your rewards aligned? Um, so you want to make sure that your rewards are aligned. So I'll give you an example from my um, organization in terms of how our rewards are aligned. So in my organization, clinicians are rewarded. um, So if we think about pay um, based on their clinical percentages. So um, like how many um, clinical hours they're they're conducting every week. And so let's think about this in terms of alignment. Um, This is good for them and their income. This is also good for clients because it means that they are able to get into the clinic and to be seen by qualified clinicians. This is also good for the organization, as it means we are able to create a secure financial foundation, provide excellent clinical services in the community, and contribute in other meaningful ways. It's also good for potential um, new clients, right? So intakes, people trying to get into the clinic, because as we... um, As we keep those clinical percentages up, it means we're able to serve people in the community. And so you want to make sure that your rewards are aligned within the organization and so that you're not 
working at cross purposes. And so that then there's the next question. Is there misalignment? Um, because that's going to create a lot of static, a lot of noise um, within your system. And that can be a real headache that can create such um, problems within your organization. So some of the ways to pay attention to this um, is there misalignment between departments or divisions? Um, and that can very often happen. Um, I was reading a case report. Um, uh, it was a large organization and there was major disalignment between, I think it was um, the trucking division and the receiving division. And so, you know, when they looked at like, why can we not get, um, why can we not get product shipped out on time? It was because um, I think it was the receiving division and the the trucking division, they were totally at odds. And so they were working at cross purposes because they were incentivized differently. And so that was why they couldn't get anything out on time. And once they had their rewards aligned, then they were never late again. But right, like that actually isn't a problem of the trucking division or the receiving division, that is a failure of leadership. That is a failure of that system. Like you've got to pay attention to these misalignments. And I think what happens is it is so easy to blame the people. Like, oh, those dang truckers or those dang people in receiving. And so that's what we will talk about more as we get into solutions. But you need to pay attention to, is there a misalignment between departments or divisions? Is there a misalignment between individuals and um, teams? Is there a misalignment between the individual and the organization? Is there a misalignment between the organization and customers? Now, that's a big one that sometimes we don't think about. Sometimes we only think about misalignment within the organization. But could there be misalignment between your organization and customers or potential customers? Pay attention to your whole ecosystem because there could be misalignment there is there tension is there noise is there a reason why it's hard for potential customers or potential clients to actually come in to your system you got to pay attention to that um, obviously you don't want to be working at cross purposes as this creates unnecessary tension and drag within your system so I also want to say here that sometimes having tension within the system is not a problem and is actually functional. But the key is like you want to be intentional about that. You want to have awareness about it. Um, you don't want to be flying blind when it comes to tension within the system. Sometimes having tension in the system is very, very functional. So, you know, for instance, the United States form of government, whether you love it or whether you hate it, um, is actually designed to make it very difficult for laws to be passed. Um, it is inherent in the design. Um, <laughs> you, you know, we shouldn't have a ton of laws on the books. Um, and so that drag in the system, the difficulty um, of having to, you know, go through these um, these bodies um, for the for the legislative process, 
that is that is by design. And so, you know, I I actually think it's kind of entertaining. Like when I hear people complain about like nothing ever gets done in Washington, D.C., I just kind of shrug my shoulders because I'm like, well, actually, um, that's kind of how it's designed. Now, like I said, like you may you may love it or you may hate it, but that was part of um you know, the design of the system. So, uh, you know, another example of this is the Texas legislature. It only um, meets every two years. And this is one of the reasons for that. So philosophically, they limit um, government intrusion. So, of course, they may have some other important reasons at play, but this is one of those reasons. Um, they want to make it a little more difficult. Um, and so a checks and balance system where there is inherent tension may hold benefits. And so I'm not saying that having tension in your system is always bad. Um but you want to be intentional and self-aware about your reward systems at play. Um, again, you don't want to be flying blind. You don't want to be working at cross purposes inadvertently. And so um, I just really want to make sure that that's very clear because some sometimes having tension in the system can be very appropriate and very functional. So the, the next thing to pay attention to is when you notice inefficiencies within your organization, start paying attention to rewards. So ask, what, what is the underlying reward system encouraging, right? So you got to get really, really curious. Um, and so this... Um, I want to I want to share an example here where you can have an organization in which the most inefficient and ineffective employees are essentially being rewarded for being ineffective by taking longer on projects that it, it happens, right? It, it's not uncommon. Meanwhile, the most effective and efficient employees are punished because they have to pick up the slack in the system. So think about a project-based system. Um, and so the, the most ineffective employees are taking longer on the projects. They're booking themselves out and they're saying, hey, this, this project is taking a long time. And so what happens? The most effective and efficient employees they're faster, they're more productive, they're more effective. And so they take up the slack and um, they effectively get punished for being more efficient, more effective, more productive. Um, and so ineffective employees are rewarded with less work and more time to complete projects, while effective employees are punished with more work and less time to complete the work. So this is often what the problem can look like. Effective employees uh, may silently take it for a while because you know they're your good employees, quote unquote, your good employees, until they can't take it anymore and they either quit or they get angry. And what about the ineffective employees? You know what, who the heck knows what they're doing? right? They're certainly not adding a lot of measurable value to the organization. I don't know what they're doing. They're certainly not being very productive. Um, they're not adding a ton of value to the organization. 
um, and they're requiring um, your most effective employees to pick up the slack. What's happening for managers or leaders in this situation? So they are typically complaining (laughs) about the ineffective employees. Why can't they get their act together? Meanwhile, and this one might hurt, right? If If you're a manager, if you're a leader, meanwhile, they are not taking responsibility Um for what is primarily a management problem, not an employee problem. And I know this one can sting a little bit, but I would submit to you that this this is a management problem, not an employee problem. You might also have an employee problem, but this is primarily a management problem. Because here's the thing, this arrangement is working swimmingly for the ineffective employees, right? Like (laughs) less work, more time. Hey, what about this is is wrong, right? Um, But if the leaders don't recognize and address this problem, they are going to lose their most valuable employees all while rewarding their most ineffective employees. And this is really where you do the double palm slap to the forehead because you really do not want this happening in your organization. So as a manager or a leader, you cannot be blaming the ineffective employees, right? Because this is primarily a failure of leadership. It is a failure of your reward system, So you might even argue that the ineffective employees are the smartest ones here because they're getting rewarded. They found a way to game the system. It's working out really, really well for them. I know that one hurts too, Um, but you are hoping for B and rewarding A. And so, like I said, you may also have an employee problem, but you won't know that until you fix your rewards, your reward problem, your management problem. And I would submit that you first and foremost have a management problem, right? And so we've got to take responsibility as leaders to fix the system first. So the other thing that we want to pay attention to is our motivation. What does motivation look like? Because of course, we don't want all motivation to be reliant on rewards. Um, That will run us into the ground. Um, And so when we think about motivation, we have extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. And when we think about extrinsic motivation, that's when we really think about rewards and reward system. Um, systems. And, you know, that requires a lot of work on the part of leaders, a lot of oversight, a lot of follow-up. There is a place for it, which is why we're talking about it today, because, you know, not many of us would work for free. Some of us would, right? Entrepreneurs work for free all the time. Um, But for most of us, we have to have some sort of reward system. And so there absolutely is a place for extrinsic motivation and reward systems. But of course, we always want to also connect with intrinsic 
um, motivation, which is connecting team members to vision, mission, and purpose, and inspiring them to engage. Of course, the work here is around culture building, and this is a requirement of leaders, but it's much less energy, right? It's much less oversight, um, but it is, it's the heart work, not, not the hard work, the heart work in terms of connecting um, your team to purpose. And so I'm going to be talking more about that um, coming up in a future podcast. So I won't say a ton about that now. But um, the invitation really is to think deeply about how your organization functions, how decisions are made, and how people are incentivized, and what you use to motivate those you lead, because it all really um, matters. And so now let's um, think in terms of solutions. And so the first solution is to inspire intrinsic motivation through culture building. And so, right, I just touched on this. And as mentioned, I'm not going to say um, more about this here because you guessed it, I've got a really great podcast coming up on this very topic. And so stay tuned because I will have you covered on this. I'm going to really focus on how you culture build through connecting with intrinsic motivation because that is a powerhouse for um, really really connecting with motivation and it's it's such a powerful tool so that's solution one and then solution two is take ownership so when looking at reward systems that may not be working well it's always easier to talk about the person who is not in the room and you know this one it this one can kind of hurt um so as leaders it's always easier to talk about, man, that dang ineffective employee, or gosh, those people down in trucking, or man, those people um, down in delivery. Resist that urge. You really do need to resist that urge because that um, blaming, that shaming, that um, judgment will not get you to solutions. In fact, it will only build resentment. It will erode your culture. And you've got to take ownership as a leader. You've got to own the process. You've got to own the problems. So you've got to start by taking ownership for the process if you hope to get to effective results. So own the process, own the reward system, even if you didn't create it. And maybe you didn't. I mean, maybe you walked into a mess. Um, Ultimately, the buck does stop with you. Um, your ability to lead with accountability will help everyone else take a clear-eyed look at what it what is and is not working. So if you start pointing fingers, everyone else is going to start pointing fingers. If you get angry, if you get defensive, everyone else will will get their guard up and it's going to be so incredibly ineffective. Like you will not get to solutions. And so as a leader, you've got to take ownership, own the process so that you can really get to solutions. And then solution three, get curious instead of critical. So when systems aren't working well, right, our first tendency is to look for someone to blame. It's a primitive reaction that we as humans are all prone to do. And really, we've got to resist that urge. So it can feel really vulnerable to admit flaws in the system. And this is one of the reasons we start running for cover through defensiveness, blame, shame, and judgment. 
but your ability to get curious instead of critical about what is and is not working will make all the difference for uncovering patterns, getting buy-in from the rest of the team in understanding potential concerns, and for creating effective change. So right here, I want to talk about um, some terms that we get from psychology. The first is the fundamental attribution error. And so this is also known sometimes as correspondence bias or the over-attribution effect. And this is the tendency for people to overemphasize dispositional or personality-based explanations for behaviors observed in others, while under-emphasizing situational explanation. So for example, right, it is so easy when we are looking at the actions of other people to blame their characteristics, to just say they're lazy or, you know, they're just, they're just not invested, right? Rather than actually looking at the context and the situation. And so that is the fundamental attribution error. When we are looking at another person's behavior, we tend to identify attributions of the person, personality-based explanations for behaviors. So we're, we are not very generous when we look at the behaviors of other people. Um, so you know, the opposite of that, right? So the other thing that happens is um, when we are looking at our own behavior, we do the opposite thing. So when we look at our own behavior, we're much more forgiving. We are looking at the context. We are looking at the situation. So when we look at our own behavior, we say we didn't have the tools like I didn't have the tools I needed to be successful or, you know, I was really tired the night before. And so that's why I didn't do very well on the test. And so the opposite of the fundamental attribution error is the actor observer bias. And this is what we use to explain our own behavior. And so what that means is that we're so much more generous in explaining our own behavior. So we're more likely to blame external forces um, than our own personal characteristics. And so both of these, the fundamental attribution error and um, the actor-observer bias, they're both cognitive biases. They're both cognitive errors that we make all the time. But you've got to keep those in mind because when you are um, looking at a problem, right? We want to get curious instead of critical. We want to resist that fundamental attribution error and really take a look at the context. Take a look at the reward system. Take a look at the situation that may be contributing to the situation, right? To the problems that are happening. Um, and be generous. Be generous in your assumptions, and then um, solution four, we want you to be a detective, but what I have here is be a friendly detective. So once you've identified an issue in an underlying reward system, it can be very challenging to know what the exact problem or problems might be. So this is where you really need to move into detective mode. But here's the thing, right? And if you're not familiar with awesome BBC um, or British type detective 
films, maybe you need to have a refresher course and check out some on um, the BBC this weekend. Um, But I want you to be a friendly British detective type, not a gritty NYPD detective. We don't want any of those. Um, You need folks welcoming you in for a spot of tea and you need a team of detectives to get to better solutions. Okay. So we, we are a friendly, curious detective trying to get to better solutions. So get curious about patterns. What do you notice? Ask good questions. Who is incentivized? Who is punished? This is where you might want to consider using a root analysis tool so they can be really helpful for wrapping your head around a system, especially if it's a really big system or complicated system. And so look at everything within the chain, even if you don't think it's pertinent, right? Like look at the whole ecosystem. Um, So, right, like look, talk to the sweet widow next door because no one suspects her, but you should probably talk to her, right? Like if you, if you ever watch British crime, um, crime drama, like you always talk to the sweet widow next door. So, um, be aware that not everyone will be forthcoming. So the existing reward system may be working very, very well for some team members. So, right. You got to think perverse incentives, Um, And so, right, like not everyone is going to be forthcoming, um, but focus on failures in the system, not failures of the individual. So this is why, I mean, lots of reasons why, but another reason why um, no blaming, no shaming, no judging. Um, We're just curious. We're curious about the system, not um, failures of the individual. Um, We want to avoid character assassinations, right? So unlike the crime drama, no one is going on trial here. And we're really looking for small tweaks and micro adjustments, right? At least initially. So it can often be satisfying to find the smoking gun, but you know, this is often not how real life works. Um, So, you know, often it's small changes that need to be need to happen. And so be patient, listen to the feedback of team members, um, you know, form a working hypothesis based on the feedback you receive and be willing to make those small adjustments and then iterate as you go. It can be a little frustrating to you and to your team, but this is probably going to be the most effective um, change is, you know, iterate as you go because you probably won't know everything you need to know as you start out. Okay, and then the fifth solution is to implement changes in the reward system based on what you have learned. So based on your sleuthing, right, you may decide you have to overhaul your existing system, you know, in which case I will pray for you. I hope that's okay. Um, Or you might decide that you can start with some small adjustments and then, you know, like I said a minute ago, iterate as you go. Um, Of course, the second choice is easier to implement. But here's the thing. If your existing reward system is so broken or corrupt or ineffective, you really are going to be better off to throw it out and start over. Um, which is why I will be praying for you. Um, So this sends um, a powerful message to your team that you hear their concerns, um, that you're not trying to patch up a problem with bandages, that, you know, like a gaping wound that, um, that needs 
um, a major intervention with bandages. And so if, if you need a new reward system, do a new reward system. Um, but of course, it can be super challenging to implement a new reward system depending on lots of factors, right? Like the size of your team, the reward system being implemented, um, the KPI or performance improvement that's involved. So if, you know, if you're part of a larger organization or you answer to a higher authority, so all of these factors will increase the complexity. So I just want to um, acknowledge that. But here's the thing. It's an important task and it's a worthwhile task. Um, be intentional. So you've done your homework and hopefully you have clarity about what needs to be done and get support and help as needed. So this is where a leadership coach would be helpful. This is where team members who can help with the process um, can be really helpful because it's a big process. Um, maybe you have a project team to help with this. It's a group effort and that would be really good, right? Because then there's gonna be more buy-in. Um, do you have a specific rollout period? So a phased approach can be helpful. Um, you'll want to manage expectations. Let your team know what to expect, that there will be changes, that you are open to feedback. In fact, that you're relying on their feedback. If, you know, you are, don't, don't tell them something you're not. Um, and let them know that it likely won't be smooth. Um, so this might be a situation where you want to under-promise and over-deliver. And then also consider timing. So based on your products, sales, development calendars, right? Like obviously take all of that into consideration. Um, sometimes are better than others. Um, so obviously pay attention to that. And then you really want to communicate throughout the whole process. So don't leave your people hanging, especially when they've invited you into tea um, and have given you important feedback about what is not working, right? It's vulnerable to give this kind of feedback about what's not working. And so um, you've got to be communicating with them. So even if you don't feel that you have substantive um, updates, communicate with the team about the process because you know that's gonna build trust and reliability and they need to know that they can count on you, especially um, the team members for which the reward system is not working at all. So they need to know that there's a plan, um, even if they don't have all the details of that plan. Okay, so the last solution, um, number six, is conduct system checks regularly. So once you have your system in place, make sure you check your rewards systems regularly. Um, is it still doing what it was designed to do? Um, have perverse incentives um, set in? Is the system being gamed? Are there inefficiencies in the system? Is there misalignment? So these are just right, like just a systems check um, to pay attention to. Um, especially as you grow, you will need to revisit your reward system, um, your metrics, and really ensure that you are not at cross purposes. But you know, this 
sometimes um, taking a deep dive into your reward system can feel really overwhelming. It can feel very challenging, but it's really important work and as you do that, it can make such a difference for the morale of your team. And it can really, you know, I kind of think about it as like, it's just, it's, it's trimming the cells, you know, it can really um, set you on the right path um, for your organization. And so it's really worth your time and energy and certainly something that you don't need to be doing alone, right? Make it a group effort um, and get buy-in around that. So I hope this was helpful for you. And of course, I have a couple more podcasts um, tied to this topic around performance improvement and um, motivation and change culture. So I hope you will look um, to those podcasts as well. And in the, head time, in the meantime, um, head on over to my website to check out the show notes with the resources for this episode at www.drmelissasmith.com forward slash episode dash 81. One more time, that's www.drmelissasmith.com forward slash episode dash 81. I'm Dr. Melissa Smith. Remember, love and work, work and love. That's all there is. Until next time, take good care. 